0: Hey everybody this is Ernie Johnson and welcome to EJ's Game Plan. It's your guide to working in sports media. Today we'll be talking to Bill Simmons, CEO of The Ringer. Hey, my name is Bill Simmons I'm here for EJ's Journalism School. As you can tell uh I'm barely competent since it took me 15 minutes to actually figure out how this went. So we're doing this for Ernie Johnson. My request request would be to be nice. Ernie is a guy who um, has made a career out of just being an awesome human being. I met him about 20 years ago. And, uh, and one of the nicest people in the business. I think Mike Breen's like that too. There's just a couple of people that have unanimous approval rating in the business, and uh, Ernie is one of those guys who's just a genuinely nice, awesome guy. So there you go. Uh, he wanted me to talk, I guess on EJ's Journalism School, everybody talks about their, their background, how they got to um, whatever, uh, whatever place they got to, what the road was, things like that. I get asked this. So one of the things you always get, you get people asking like, do you have any advice? Help, help me. I want to break into sports. I want to do sports media. Just to help me get uh, wherever I need to go. And the answer is there is no answer. And I know it's a bummer to hear that, but uh, especially when you're trying to break into media or sports media, something like that, th- there is no magic potion to it. Um, I think the one thing that I learned over the years and the one thing that we look for with a lot of the people that we've hired is people who really bust their ass and try to stand out in some way and um, really care about the quality of the stuff they're doing and just try to do great work. And that's it, that's what drives them. And I think over and over again, uh, you hear that model be proven out over and over again with people who have made it and including a lot of the people that I've worked with. I I think going back to, um, I really started you know, I was a writer for the first almost 40 years of my life exclusively. And I think thirty for thirty was the first time I'd been thrown into, you know, something where you have to figure out um, how to create something with a bunch of people. And, you know, you learn about teamwork and and how to pass stuff off to different people and, and how the group can be stronger than an individual and things like that, which as a writer, you're by yourself all the time. Um So I think, going to grandland and then the ringer the thing you learn over and over again is the value of a group over one person and especially if you have a group that works really well together um, i think as you get as you get uh, better and better at it you realize like somebody who's in the position I was at where I was running grandland and then at the ringer same thing where how valuable an inner circle is and things like that but over and over again we learned you know people have a certain profile of of succeeds and who doesn't the people that succeed are people who really throw themselves into whatever they're doing they go a plus all effort they just want it to happen and they'll do whatever it takes and um that's one thing the other thing is just like having expertise in something like just saying like i like sports i want to get into sports that's not enough Well, what do you like about it what are what are your two best things are you Awesome. Are you, are you an incredible basketball man or incredible football man? I think what's happened over the last 20 years is um, things have become a lot more specialized. So you go back to where, where I was, where in the mid nineties, I was working for the Boston Herald. I was trying to break in um, with them and I worked for them basically for three years. I have a lot of regrets. I handle a lot of things badly. And I was, I did a podcast with Brian Koppelman recently where um, I talked about, um you know, I don't know if me, the boss, would have wanted to hire me the person I was in my 20s because that person thought he was better than he was. That person didn't know it, thought he was putting in the work, but really wasn't. That person wasn't 100% reliable. And uh, even though that person was talented, there were there were some check marks and the check marks against them. So I think if I could go back to that person, I would tell them, look, keep your head down, be patient. This is going to take a while. Um, you're, nobody's going to hand you an awesome job in three months. Nobody's going to give you a sports column when you're 24 just because you think you're good at it. Put the time in. Keep kicking ass. Keep your head down. Do everything they ask you to do. And and eventually it's going to work out. And trust the people in your life um, that you're working with that seem like they know what they're doing. You know, don't don't try to turn this into a situation where – you think you're better than everybody because you're not. You just got here. Uh, you have to prove to everybody that you're good. And that's going to take a while. So um, I did that for three years, gave up, uh, started freelancing. And I was I was bartending, working in a restaurant, all these things. And then when the Internet started taking off in 1997, um, I rolled the dice with this website called Digital City Boston, which was supposed to be a digital newspaper. Um, And they had all of them in different parts of America online. It was an AOL only. You had to have an AOL address to read the stuff. And I created a sports column called Boston Sports Guy. The only reason it's called Boston Sports Guy was because uh, they had a Boston's movie guy already and I thought that was a pretty good moniker. And I just decided I'm I'm throwing myself into this and I'm gonna try to build an audience. I feel like there is a huge void for sports writers writing about um, stuff that me and my friends talk about. And that's really where it started. Like maybe the fourth column I ever wrote was a running diary of the NBA draft. And like the sixth column I wrote was um, about my 30 favorite sports movies of all time. Then the eighth column was the 30 worst sports movies of all time. I started doing mailbags. I borrowed things from different people that I liked. Like I love David Letterman. Um, viewer mail so I was like that should work as a mailbag and just little things like that and just tried to be different and the the conceit at that time was how do I write about Boston sports because that's where I was living I was a huge Boston fan um, but then also mixing some pop culture and some other stuff and I, I kept going and going for let's say three years and right around 2000 it just felt like it wasn't totally happening and that was the second time I almost gave up but, um, you know, my family convinced me to stick with it. I, I was really frustrated because I had turned 30 and I just felt like things were going to be happening for me and they just weren't. And I gave it one more year and that's when the ESPN thing happened. And I wrote a couple freelance pieces for them they ended up hiring me. And then I had to re-figure out, all right, now I'm at ESPN. This part worked out, but now how am I, su- I going to succeed here? It was the early part of ESPN.com and Um, I was trying to write a national sports column, which at the time, there really weren't any national sports columns. There was Rick Riley had an 800-word once a week column at the back of Sports Illustrated. So I had to figure out, um, how do I get everybody to read me? What are the hooks? You know, if you're a local columnist, you can mention whatever's going on in your city. Like if you're in Chicago, you can make all these Chicago references. Everybody in Chicago will get it but people in Detroit might not get half the stuff. So how can I connect with as many readers as I can connect with? Um, I figured out that pop culture was kind of, could replace local sports in a lot of different ways. And I also thought the only way this is gonna happen is to try to be authentic. And um, I'm gonna write about the stuff I care about. I care about Boston sports, I care about these movies, I care about uh, certain athletes, I care about gambling. I started doing uh, football picks and things like that. And that the things I cared about in 2001, weren't really on the internet that much. But to me, I looked at it as like, well, they should be on the internet, like, my friends and I would care about fantasy football, I've never really read huge fantasy football pieces. So I remember that first year in 2001, I did a big, I did a big article about like 30 tips for your fantasy football draft. I did another fantasy football preview, I did a running diary of my fantasy football draft. And I was just like, my friends care about this, that means people are gonna read it. So um, the ESPN stuff, it really started going well. I was writing for Page Two. We had a good group. I ended up moving to LA to work for Jimmy Kimmel. I tried to keep the Page Two column. Uh, couldn't really do both jobs. And uh, ended up going back to ESPN full-time in 2004. Threw myself into that. And then right around 07 realized like I had a shelf life with that column. And it's like at some point, I had to figure out what else could I do. And ESPN was such a big company at the time. That, uh, and they were in so many different things. And they were like the Yankees, for lack of a better analogy. And they were trying to do all these different things. They were trying to do movies. They were trying to do TV shows. They were doing different types of documentaries. And that led to um, people. Um, they tried to do Black Magic in 2006, which was a huge success. They had some other documentaries that didn't work as well. And that's what led to uh, the 30 for 30 idea, which I sent to John Skipper and John Walsh, who, was great, who were great to me. They told me to develop it. Uh, My friend Connor Shell and I developed it from that point on. We figured it out and spent two years doing that. At the same time, I had launched my podcast and uh, felt like that was something. I was terrible at it. I was bad at it for two years. Some would say I'm still bad at it. But uh, for those first two years, really learning how to interview people and and what made sense to do in a podcast. So 07 was a really big year for me because that's when I realized, like, how can I do more than this? What else is out there? And just start taking chances. And they're not all going to work out. But um, take chances, keep taking swings, and see how it goes. So I started writing my book in 07, started my podcast in 07. We started 30 for 30 in 07. And then by the end of 09, my contract was up with them. We had 30 for 30 coming out. My book was coming out. And they were trying to re-sign me. And I had some leverage at that point because things were going well. And I, I really felt strongly about this idea I had for a website that uh, I felt like within ESPN, within the infrastructure, that I could potentially help them find some new talent and create something within ESPN.com. Because my argument to them was, at some point, somebody else is going to create a competitor to ESPN.com. Sports Illustrated hadn't figured it out. Yahoo hadn't figured it out. But at some point, somebody was going to create a competitor that at least could rival them and take some talent for them and things like that and um that's when i had the grantland idea and just basically sold them on it um tried to explain to them why i thought it was a good idea and to skipper and walsh's credit they got it immediately and the podcasts were going to be a part of it all these different multimedia um components to it that should just try to make it seem different than any espn site so we launched grantland in 2011 that was a really fun process and then uh tried to turn that into something. And I think, um, you know, I think we found a lot of good talent. We found a lot of good behind the scenes people. And more importantly, I think we pushed ESPN in a lot of different directions. And, um, you know, we had that combined with 30 for 30 and then we were able to do, once, once we convinced them to do 30 for 30 volume two, um, that really, the link of it of Grantland and 30 for 30, these two separate planets that felt like they were aligned in some way. How can we expand on that? How can we turn Grantland into a digital multimedia site that has really good writing, that has podcasts, that has uh, a YouTube YouTube clips and stuff like that? And we kept pushing the envelope um, and just trying stuff. And I I think that was um, the best lesson I had from the Grantland thing was like, let's keep trying things. Not everything's going to work. You know, we did. I I look at something like the Bill and Jalen NBA preview we did in 2013. Jalen and I were on Countdown. We'd had really a lot of fun that first season. We were going back to Countdown in the second season and had an idea to do team previews for every team. And the thinking was they would be on SportsCenter. And I pitched them this whole massive idea of me and Jalen doing 30 previews in a row on SportsCenter. And SportsCenter was like, no thanks, we're pretty crowded. So we were like, wow, this is a really good idea. So we threw ourselves into that. And that was... Jacoby, who now has been Jalen's partner for a bunch of years. He uh, he was the producer behind the scenes. We had two other people, that's it. Uh, maybe two and a half because we're using a freelancer too. And we we did 30, 15 minute shows in 30 days. You can still see him on YouTube. But we just went for it and it was insane. We were taping six hour, six hour shows. Um, we're editing, I'm we're editing till three in the morning trying to get these ready for the season weren't sure if it was gonna work uh, we had never really had a big success on YouTube and this is a small example but it was just like if we're gonna do this let's do it let's fucking do this let's go all in let's 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 try to kick ass if we're gonna do this correctly we did you know we probably broke some rules with IP that we were able to use the movies we stole and things like that but we just we went and we did it and I think that was a the lesson for for me for Grantland was was just keep trying stuff why not? Let's keep going. Let's do this. Let's do that. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. And, uh, and that led to a lot of good things and, you know, eventually realized that if, if ESPN didn't see that as a business, then maybe somebody else would, or maybe that could be my own business. So you look at the last five, six years, kept trying stuff. Some things worked. Some things didn't. And, uh, and, You know learned a lot now it's 2020 the ringer was bought by spotify and uh we have a whole bunch of possible cool elements with that too coming up so um i'm going to take some some questions because that's what ernie wants about the business try to keep it to to uh media stuff and advice and and things like that so um is it oh do we say 2020 or 2020 so we're good with 2020 now when we talk about the years, I guess, I guess that's what we say. Uh, okay. So are the bucks your favorite NF- NFC team now? I ha- I haven't emotionally decided where I stand on the Tampa Bay bucks yet. When football does come back, I'm going to try to figure out, um, if I'm in on them, I'll bet on them to win the division or something. So I'll have some financial interest in it, but, uh, Ultimately a part of me kinda wants it to fail. I feel like a like a like like somebody like somebody I was dating broke up with me and now I just want that want it to end badly with whoever their next person is. So I don't know. I'm I'm still sorting out my feelings about that. Um all right, second, what advice do you have to someone growing a podcast network? First of all, I don't you would have to get your own podcast in the right shape first before you thought about building a little satellite network around it. And I think, you know, I think it's hard to build a network. You know, I think there's a lot of podcasts. There's probably like 800,000 now. So if you're going to do a network, I think that the, the catch would be. How is this different? How does this stand out? What's different about this? What? What piece of turf are we going after? And if you're just doing like a big massive, Hey, I'm launching a sports podcast network. That's probably not going to work at this point. But if you're doing um, a smaller version of that and you're trying to hit a sport or whatever, there's some good, some good meat on the bone right now. Like I I think basketball and football is where a lot of the podcasts go. Uh, But there's other sports that are going there too. Someone asked me how, how things have changed at the ringer since we had the pandemic it's been really interesting i've talked about it a little bit on podcasts um you know you you have to adapt on the fly basically and for us so much of what we were doing took place in the office people coming to office people doing podcasts together and a lot of the choices we made podcast wise were di- dictated by who was in the office how could we get people together we weren't Really sure how to do stuff if people weren't in the same location. We would have these different gimmicks, but usually it was two people, and that's it. If it was three people, they're all in different remote spots. You have a producer in a four spot; everyone's talking over each other, and it's just not good. So it was something we tried to veer away from as much as we did. If you ever listened to a lot of the Ringer pods, it was always two people kind of going back and forth, unless three of them could be in a room. The what happened in the last eight weeks, we didn't have a choice. It's like, well, we got to see the host can see each other on Zoom. Uh, so we'll start a Zoom. Then we have people have recording equipment on their end. So like, you know, if you get good recording equipment, it's probably like 1500 bucks, 1600 bucks to get like a little mic stand, little Zoom recorder, things like that. Made sure people are recording from their end. And so that the sound sounds good. And then you see each other on Zoom. So you're not interrupting each other. And what we found out was like, wow, this actually Kind of works. Um, I would say Racilla and I, Rassila used to come during to my house during the NBA playoffs. He would come, we would watch a game, we would have dinner, and then we would do a podcast in my little back house. Um, now we know he doesn't necessarily have to do that. We could do that where he just zooms in, we see each other and we go. Nephew Kyle doesn't even necessarily need to be with us. So what that did for us was that opened the door for a lot of possibilities for us. And I, I think we just saw it we're doing a podcast right now called flying coach with Steve Kerr and Pete Carroll. And um, it's a podcast. We wouldn't have been able to ever consider in a million years doing um, three months ago. We're being like, well, Steve lives in the Bay area and Pete lives in Seattle and there's just no way we can't do this technologically. They're not exactly um, cutting edge. As we found out, as I've joked about on the podcast, but once the Zoom thing unfolded and they came to us and they were like, hey, we want to raise some money for charity, we want to do a podcast together. Um, we were able to figure it out in four days. We From Tuesday to Saturday, they had equipment. We taught them how to do the Zoom. We taught them um, how to record on their ends. And we did a podcast. And if you hear it, it sounds good. And we taped the Zoom. We were able to cut, um, to cut the video out and the social breakouts. So I think that's an example of like, Look, the, everything about the quarantine sucks, like literally everything, but we still have to like do content. So how are we gonna do content, figure out a solution, keep going? And, uh, and so now we've learned like, all right, maybe we were looking at this wrong. Maybe maybe this isn't a situation where everybody has to be in the room at all times when we do our best podcasts. We've been doing rewatchables. I just did one. We did Escape from New York, which is going up tonight. Shea was in Texas. Chris Ryan was at his house. I was at my house and the three of us. And uh, and and we just did it. So that's all you can do when stuff like this happens. You, you can either say, oh, shit, we can't do what we want to do anymore. Or you can say, let's figure this out. Um, any plans for a soccer pod post-pandemic? So soccer is an area that we are going to get involved in in a much bigger way and i don't feel like we were doing that properly we basketball and football were our big footholds for sports podcasts soccer is something that it's global i think when we look at what we're trying to do at spotify and having a big impact on them on a sports standpoint they're in 200 countries or whatever and how can we get a bigger piece of the soccer pie i think is a is a big piece of it so um i to do that well right now i think it's the way the state of the world is and there's no soccer. So it's not like we're like, here's our first six ideas. But I think we're, we're doing a lot of planning right now of when this comes back, what happens? Um, are we ready? Are, is our plan gonna be different for Sport X versus uh, whatever we're doing? So that's we're thinking that we're waiting for soccer to come back. Somebody asked, what is the Ringer, Ringer Films uh, plan? So we have, we announced that we're doing this um, music documentary series with HBO that we're working on six right now um, that unfortunately, um, you know, this there could be way worse problems than this, but once, once uh, everything got shut down, you just can't film documentary stuff. You can do a lot of the archival, um, but you can't actually film interviews, obviously. So um, things got, some of it got pressed on pause, but other ones are still going and I I think we're probably looking at fall 2021 for that. And we have a couple other things too. one that um, was not allowed was not announced. Um, Somebody asked, What did you learn from your HBO show? So I still look at it, you know, it didn't work. And I'm bummed out about it, obviously, but I still look at it as a positive because um, I learned a lot. Um, I learned, you know, fundamentally, if the idea doesn't 100% make sense, it's probably not going to work, make sense as a TV show. And I think I had become obsessed in 2014 and 2015. In the concept of long form interviews working as a TV show, because I had had so much success on it on pods. And so at other people, you know, I, I think the longer interviews were just so interesting and so insightful for different types of people that you were you were talking to and it was just so different than what you were getting on late night shows. And then even when I would talk to celebrities, um, they would always talk about how they didn't really like going on late night shows that much, that they liked long form stuff. So that, that was a big part of trying to figure out that HBO show. And I think there were red flags that we just missed. Like it definitely should have been a once a month show. It should not have been weekly. Um, it should have been booked with taped interviews that uh, probably should have been an hour. Um, or an hour long show once you know strategically placed where you can do press for each one and i look at some of the things we did on that show where like when we had kd and nas kd right after he had signed with golden state like that was an awesome interview we made we made a bunch of news in that and a whole thing and it's like if that had just been a once a month thing i think it would have worked but I, i think the big lesson for me is just like everybody's already doing this so well on podcasts and money is drifting to podcasts. Like why did, should this even be a TV show? Um, podcasts are doing it better. It's a better version of the form. And, uh, I wish I had realized that, um, somebody asked me, what am I doing 10 years from now? I hope I'm alive. And, um, I hope things have mellowed out a lot at that point. Um, somebody asked what's the future of sports gambling. So we've, we've seen it just with us. Like, uh, Daily fantasy and sports gambling, I think, is going to be the biggest potential revenue source going forward for a lot of media sites, especially as gambling becomes um, legal in more and more states and things like that. It's just, um, it's going to be a huge revenue source. And I think there's going to be a point where the states and the leagues are going to start speed rushing some of this stuff so, um, so that uh, they can make more money from it. Pretty simple. I think a lot of money is gonna drift in that space. Somebody asked um, what our YouTube plan is going forward. You know, we, we're in a pretty good spot. We have great people on our video side and we do a lot of creative stuff. And we have a nice mix of like trying to do recurring things, trying to do um, one-off stuff and things like that. I think the next step for us is to try to figure out how to merge the podcast with the video better. And I, that was one of the reasons we want to go to Spotify. It's like, you know, we going to have better stuff we're going to have better studios if we if we have a kick-ass west coast podcast like the one we're developing right now with van lathan and rachel lindsey you want it to be in a cool studio where the podcast sounds awesome the guests can come in and everything works so um i think that would be one way the youtube stuff should evolve and um other than that just keep getting creative I, i think what we've done with our channel has been amazing we've tripled our subscriber base and I think less than a year. And then we've learned a lot about what works and doesn't work. Um, Thoughts about wrestling being deemed an essential business. It's a stretch, but it happened in Florida. And I think all bets are off in Florida. Someone asked if streaming and gambling DFS go hand in hand. Um, I haven't heard an adequate explanation for if you're live betting, but somebody in the arena or in the stadium is seeing something live on a 10 seconds faster, 12 seconds, whatever the delay is, than uh than the person at home. How that's not a massive advantage for daily gambling. So uh there we go. Isn't Stephen A asks, Bill, the day the vaccine comes out, let's get a three-hour boogie nights pod. You have my word, that's gonna happen. The day the vaccine is out and we're all safe three hours Boogie Nights pod, and not a second sooner. When are you gonna stream yourself gaming again? Um, my son and I have played, we play Madden KO sometimes. We put it on my Instagram. It's usually late at night, West Coast time. We try to win four games in a row. And uh, and uh, my son is like right on the line, third rail the whole time. And uh, so check out my Instagram every once in a while, cause that'll happen. Uh, people are asking about different language podcasts related to the ringer. That's something we're talking about right now. Um, You know, Spotify's in a lot of countries and Spotify wants to have an even bigger presence in sports and in pop culture and a bunch of different things. So we're talking a lot about um, how that could happen. The MJ documentary, what would you do differently? Somebody asked. Uh, My friend Jason Hare is doing that and he's really talented. And I think episodes five through eight are exceptional. I really, really like them. you know, it's tough because you're serving a lot of masters when you're doing that. You have MJ's side, you have ESPN, you have Netflix, you have the NBA, you have four people, four chefs in the kitchen other than yourself. And I think um, once we get through the first four, I think you can feel it. It just feels more like a documentary. Um, and you, you basically have two timelines from that point on. You have the backwards MJ timeline and then the 98 timeline. And... Um, I'm really proud of him. I, I'm a huge fan of his talent. And I thought the Fab Five thing he did for us at ESPN was awesome. He did a Sacramento King's Doc that was really good and I hope still sees the light of day at some point and did Andre the Giant with me for HBO, but I think he's incredibly talent, talented. Will you collaborate with other Spotify podcasters like Joe Budden? We've actually talked about... Uh, I, I need to go in the Joe Budden podcast. I, I'm surprised that it hasn't happened yet. And I feel like He's got to give me a stronger invite. It's like one of those half-assed, yeah, I'd love to have you on, but I feel like he really needs to, um, to step up. Um, are you looking at a podcast about business advice, all that stuff? We've, we've kept mostly to sports, pop culture, things like that, um, things that we're good at. Um, and when we look at podcasts that are outside that realm, it's got to be something that stands out in, uh, in some way. Somebody has thoughts on Levitard. I noticed Levitard keeps popping up in these comments. Levitard and I have known each other since 2001. He called me out of the blue when I was living in Boston, when I was writing for page two. And he was very concerned about my writing output. Cause at that point I was writing 9,000, 10,000 words a week, three times a week. And he was like, this isn't sustainable. Why are you doing this to yourself? Can I help? Can I edit some of this stuff? That's how we got to know each other. And, uh, And we got along really well until LeBron went to Miami and then when we became frenemies and the last decade has just been about the frenemy relationship and the fact that uh, I think Stu Gotts likes me more than he likes Levitard. deep down. If you if if you put Stu Gotts in a lie detector test and the person administering it said, who do you like more, Simmons or Levitard? I think you'd be surprised at the answer. I think it would be me. can you do a sports book recommendation podcast? That's an interesting one. Um, so we, we stumbled into this model we're doing with TV concierge that I really like, where it's this podcast we launched this week. It's only on Spotify. It's 12 to 15 minute podcast. And the thinking was like, it's really hard to do a TV podcast because it, let's say you hit three, four shows in a week. And it, like, let's say you're doing it on Tuesdays, you're covering four shows the person listening to it might have only seen two of the shows and might be saving the other two shows for later, or doesn't care about them or whatever. So how do you navigate that? Like if we're doing a basketball podcast. Everyone follows the NBA. It's not going to be like, Oh, I can't hear the Memphis part. I haven't watched Memphis yet. So with TV, we, we couldn't totally figure it out. And we're trying this model on TV concierge where it's basically like little mini podcasts about a specific show. That's it. So we put up, I think on Monday we put up little fires everywhere. We put up, uh, extraction or extraction the chris helmsworth movie and then uh too hot to handle we put many podcasts done by people who cared about that and um and we're gonna see how it goes and the thinking is like you go to that podcast on spotify and it's almost like a playlist and maybe you'll listen to three of the seven five of the seven two of the seven whatever but two of them you're going to listen to um so we'll see what happens a lot of people are mentioning a crossover pod with um with me and Rosillo and and Big Cat and PFT. Um, No, but why did I say PFT? (laughs) Uh, The part of my take podcast. Um, I think a crossover pod would be interesting. I wonder if we could raise enough money for charity for it. I think that would be fun to do a crossover pod. I don't know where it lives. Maybe we'd have to play rock, paper, scissors for it. Um, Someone asked, someone going to college into college with play-by-play podcast and interview skills, what do I focus on? So here's the great thing about podcasts: it's it's a lot like where blogging was in the mid 2000s, where um, if you're good at it and you're working at it, you have a chance to stand out. Anyone can have a podcast, and the equipment, you know, it's not cheap, but it's not that expensive. You could have a state-of-the-art little mini podcast studio for yourself for a thousand bucks, or eight hundred bucks, or five hundred bucks, however much you want to spend. And if you want to get the reps and keep, you know, keep plugging away with guests and different things like that, I I think that's a pretty, a pretty good way to get some reps. I know for me with my podcast, I felt like I was really bad at it the first couple of years. And somewhere in 2009, when I'd finally finished my book and I really started thinking about it more, um, I felt like, all right, I'm starting to get this. Like, I'm having these long form interviews. And I remember Seth Meyers asked to uh come on the podcast and he was like i listen i really like it can i like let's do one and that was when i was like oh these are actually kind of working like um if seth myers wants to come on maybe something cool about this someone asked if there's any chance the ringer does a podcast series documenting colin kaepernick we actually looked into this and we ended up we 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 did tyler tines is doing a six episode series about cam newton that uh that we just thought was more interesting because we just thought there was more stuff to die into. Um, what year can we expect Ben to take over the podcast? 2030. Um, listen, Ben, we just want Ben to move out of the house at some point. That would, that would be uh, our only goal. Um, someone asked, will we ever get a Rocky 1 through 4 rewatchables? Because Rocky 5 didn't exist. We are planning um, at some point there will we will be covering the the 4. And we have a lot of people. Who want to be on those, including Cousin Sal? Um, someone's asking for Roadhouse on the rewatchables. That's, that's possibly, possibly coming. Possibly. Uh, is that Ben Simmons breaking controllers I right hear in the background? Ben actually broke a controller this week, and we refused to fix it for him. We were like, that's it. You're done playing video games. And then my wife MacGyvered it and somehow fixed it. I think the L2 button doesn't totally work but uh there you go uh people ask have you thought about regional ad reads for your podcast i think that's one of the ways podcasts are going to grow this decade um dynamic advertising you think about it like when you're watching an espn game let's say memphis is playing san antonio you're watching la espn will cut to ads there'll be local ads in the uh in the game um So if you're in Boston, you'll see different ads. You'll see for Jordan's Furniture or something. And then in LA, you'll see whatever, Trails Tacos. I think podcasts, that would be the two ways podcasts can grow and grow revenue are local, being able to local dynamic advertising. And then um, what's the other thing? And There's another thing and I forgot. Uh, Why is it taking so long for Cam Newton to get signed somewhere? I keep feeling like the Pats are going to be the destination and maybe that's Maybe that's, uh, maybe that's why. Um, someone asked, multiple times you bet on yourself career-wise, any advice in doing so? Um, I was joked if uh, if I wrote one of those self-help books, the title would be Bet on Yourself. I think Shay Serrano is going to try to steal that from me. I'm going to have to fight him on that. Uh, Shay, you know who was first on Bet on Yourself. The, the, the Bet on Yourself thing, it's like, look, you're going to hit these points in life where you're going to have a fork in the road and you can go left or you can go right. And if you're betting on somebody else versus you controlling your own destiny, if you had the possibility to do that, I would always, if you believe in yourself and you believe you're talented and you believe you have something really to offer, um, then you should bet on yourself. If, if one, the more you put your hands in other people and they're controlling your destiny, the more things that can go wrong. So that would uh that would be my advice. Someone said careful Shay's like six He is, he's secretly six three. How often do you get pitched ideas and books by random people? How often do you accept the pitch? Um I not that often actually. We have a book imprint now um, that we we've been floating around different book ideas. The whole concepts of, of books just in general these days were audiobooks and uh, podcast series are almost a better idea than a book at this point. I don't I don't know what's going on. I know that hey, in this day and age, I would never spend the time writing another book like that. I, I, I didn't enjoy it when it was happening at 07, 08, 70809. It was brutal. Uh, I would never put um, I would never never go through that again. Uh, it is funny though, when you see your book in a bookstore that you slaved over and then it's just sitting there with all these other books. You're like, wow, those three years of my life. Um, Will the ringer do live commentary at NBA games? I wonder, I do think this decade we're heading toward a world where there's going to be multiple play by play options for games, especially as you see more and more streaming possibilities. So like if Amazon got NFL rights or something, what would stop them from having, 10 different play-by-play teams, just pick the team. Like, it's a Patriots game. It's like whoever. Have, have two people from Boston. If it's a Bears game, have two Bears things, so, so on and so on. Someone asked what I thought of SNL at home, the Zoom show they're doing. I, I really respect it. I think, uh, I think the fact that SNL has tried to keep SNL going, even though it's an impossible to keep going, has been fascinating to watch. I don't think it's been that funny but I respect what they're trying to do. I think it has exposed them for the only thing is that they don't have that one incredibly hilarious person, you know, and by the way, they've only been like seven or eight in the history of the show. But like, I just wonder if they're doing these Zoom SNLs and Eddie Murphy was one of the cast members from 1982. You just put him in this situation, like what the hell would happen? So I wish they would unleash unleash some of their people more instead of just trying to do traditional snow. Cause I think like, uh, the, the new lady that's on Chloe, somebody, I can't remember her last name, but like, she's amazing. I, I would just unleash her for like a half hour thoughts on Goodell's draft hosting performance. It was a lot of time with Goodell. It was a lot. It was a long, long time with Goodell. And, and I thought he started to feel it. I don't think he'd spend that much time with himself. Probably would have mixed it up. I I, I would have had multiple co-hosts. Um, you could have even had like Rich Eisen do some do some announcing some picks. You could have Michael Irvin. Like I would have had more hosts and less uh, and less Goodell. Can you talk about finding business mentors and partners? Um, I'm still at a stage where I love. I I I've been really lucky with how many smart put together. People I've been able to work with over the last twenty years, and the you know I'm fifty now. I, it never gets old to run into somebody who is just really talented and knows what the fuck they're doing. Like we're doing this music music documentary series. Two of the producers on it are Mark Samino and Jody Gerson from Universal, and they're just great. And I, I love just learning how they think about the music business. I, I think though the thing that i've tried to the last 12 years really double down on is is trying to learn from different people who are good at what they do that's why like on countdown i loved the year i spent with magic johnson it was uh, incredible we had this resource this guy had been had played against every relevant player from 1978 all the way through 96 he had a million stories and really understood basketball and leadership and stuff that lebron james was Going through just as the best player in the league and what it's like to have people around you. And we would be with them for seven, eight hours on a Friday night, you know, doing a doubleheader. We would do the pregame meeting at two. Um, then go on the air at four. And then uh and then we'd basically be hanging out, watching basketball on a doubleheader, and it was amazing. Um and and same thing for Doug Collins the following year, where this guy had had this whole four decade career where he coached, he'd player, he played, he had all these amazing stories and really just thought about basketball. I, I realized after I finished my basketball book, I turned 40 in 2009 and I really felt like I had taken my column as far as I could go with it. And that the next step of it would be to kind of break that third wall. I'd always try to keep a distance from the people I was writing about from a fan's perspective. And, uh, and i it. i was like i got it. i want to learn more from people i want to um i want knowledge and i think especially with the nba over the last over the next 10 years plus between podcasts between countdown um becoming very good friends with Jalen, all the stuff that we talked about over the years learning more how to think about stuff from a player's perspective um and then just how much goes into basketball i mean it really you know, all these little nights along the way, like doing a Wednesday night countdown with Avery Johnson and listening to him talk about coaching for seven hours. And um, I was probably pretty annoying behind the scenes because I just was asking questions. I was like curious guys. So I think, you know, that's why that the six podcasts I did with KD, um, I really love those because it was just so unique at the time. Now it's a little yes, less unique in 2020. I think a lot more people are, are being more candid in the nba but in 2017 the thought of somebody sitting down for a 90 minute podcast who was one of the best three players in the league and just being like i'll talk about anything ask me anything um was incredible and i think if you go back and you listen to that first the first two podcasts we did he's really good and he's really happy and i think you can kind of feel how maybe that shifted a little bit after um especially the second title but he's at such peace in the first podcast we did he's at Golden state He's so happy playing with all of his teammates and just feels like he's playing the kind of basketball he'd always wanted to play. And I I think it's a really fascinating uh, re-listen. Can you talk about the role of transcripts with podcasts and your thoughts on them eventually? I'm not a huge fan of podcast transcripts because um, first of all, I want people to listen to the podcast just in general. But then um, I think a lot of times when when you just cut out two paragraphs of a podcast. um, And you send that on the world, you lose all the nuance, you lose all the things that led to um, what people came to the decisions they were making when they talked about something. I I, I just made it's less authentic to me. I want to hear the people I want to hear the tone of their voice. And, uh, and, and uh, I'm just I'm not a huge fan. Uh, I know other people feel differently you anticipate more of a crossover between podcasting and digital streaming industries? You know, one of the, one of the people, one of the reasons that uh, we want to go to Spotify is cause it, they're just an amazing company. Like we, we were not trying to sell, we did not hire a banker or any of that stuff. I, we were just, we started talking to Spotify we kept talking to them, kept talking to them. And they became more and more impressive. And we felt like they had a chance to be the dominant audio person, you know, and you think like with video and streaming, Netflix had probably a four year head start on everyone, but um, ultimately, you know, you had all these other players in the game like Amazon and you had Hulu and had Apple TV and more and more HBOs, more and more people getting into it. Netflix had a really good foothold. Spotify has a chance to have a five year head start on anyone trying to get into audio. And um, the amount of intelligence and technology that they've accumulated over the last five, six years was, was, um, You know, to me, it goes back to the same thing. Can I win? How can, how can we win? Um, I felt like at, at Grantland at that, especially the last year or so at ESPN, even before I got suspended, I felt like there was going to come a point when we weren't going to win anymore because they didn't want to grow the, grow the site. They were saying like, look, you guys break even. We don't want to give you 20 more head counts. And my attitude, which I've been pretty candid about was like, we should be making money. Like we, we, have nine of your 10 best podcasts. Everyone else is monetizing podcasts. We're not. Monetize the podcast, put the money back into Grantland. And then we can hire a social media editor. Like the things that we didn't have, you guys would be astounded. We we had one podcast producer for all our podcasts. We had one person that handled all of our video. Um, and we needed resources. And it was like, I wanted the site to be great. I really felt like it had a chance. And I, I think that goes back to the Spotify thing of like, Spotify wants to be great. I don't want to sound like a Spotify infomercial, but um, it's a great company that wants to do more over the next 10 years and not just be awesome in audio, but maybe be bigger than that. And I I think that was the most appealing thing. Someone says anything to say the people mad about Universal saying Rodman was not interesting. That wasn't what we said. Um, We talked about it on the beginning of the podcast. We did Sunday night for a while. We're saying like, by the time you get to the mid nineties and Rodman was becoming this, basically reality tv show character he's dying his hair different colors and acting out a lot of different ways and being a prototype for a reality tv character no no different than what we've seen with Paris and people like that i just never thought it was that interesting um i thought rodman was really interesting as a basketball player i thought his backstory was interesting but in general the whole thing about you can turn rodman into some four minute montage now and make it seem like he was the most interesting guy in the world in the late 90s but the reality for the people who were there, and I was one of the people who was there because I was old enough. Like it got pretty tiresome by 98. And, you know, he went to the Lakers in 1999 and was out of there in 20 games. And his act had just worn thin. You know, he was at San Antonio for two years doing all the stuff he did there. And it just, his act wore thin. The only reason it was rejuvenated was because he was playing with the most famous person ever who played basketball or any sport other than maybe Babe Ruth. So he became interesting again by being attached to him and he started acting out, and doing stuff. Um, I just was never that personally interested in it. I'm sure if you've seen a documentary, you would know, the story You're like, wow, he did that. Wow. He left the team, went to Vegas. But in the moment, it was like, what are you what are you doing? You guys have a chance to be one of the great teams of all time. And this guy's just like just all, all he cares about is himself. Um, and it got old, and it got old by 1999, and it became sad. And I, th- I think he became more of a cautionary tale than anything. So um, thoughts on the uh, U.S. women's team's legal battle with U.S. soccer? I have a lot of thoughts on U.S. soccer. I absolutely detest U.S. soccer. And if you remember, I had Kathy Carter on, the, on my podcast a while ago when the president job was open. She ended up not getting it. She's now working for the Olympic Committee. They gave it to Carlos. Can't even remember his last name. Uh, it seemed dubious at the time. He was terrible, he just resigned. And we've just thrown away a decade. We've thrown away a decade in US soccer. Every single piece of US soccer is worse than it was 10 years ago. All of it, everything's worse. Are youth soccer situations worse? Um, our our uh, men's team compared to where we were in 08 and 09 it's a catastrophe and the women's team is what it is because we have such an amazing talent pool but it's almost succeeding despite how bad u.s soccer is and what's happened in southern california with uh with u.s soccer and them disowning the da the development academy which was awful to begin with um ecnl is the other big one now and they box out a lot of the smaller clubs. They they're controlled. They're basically trying to become uh, Starbucks and uh, and the people that lose are the kids. It's it, to play you soccer. It's expensive. Um, it's 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 a small percentage of clubs controlling way too much of it. The ODP program has really not worked ever. And we don't produce young players. And if we had an awesome player, they would probably go to Europe to play, like, like Christian Pulisic did. Um, it's a disaster. If we need a sports star, you know, yesterday, but if we had one, I think uh, the first thing they would do is try to figure out this soccer thing. It's such a catastrophe. It's so bad. And uh, and these soccer things, they should be building fields. They should be training coaches. They, they should be trying to find the best players all over the place, regardless of what their financial situation is. And they should value men and women the same way. The crazy thing about youth soccer now, you think like it's 2020, oh, things are equal. And it's like, they're not. My daughter played varsity for her high school team and they got the worst practice times. They got the worst uniforms. They got the worst game times. Then the boys said it's 2020. It's like, what is this? So uh, I would love if somebody could figure out any of that stuff. Thoughts on the future of G-League high school transfers? I think the G-League, they're starting to figure out, like, we could basically replace college basketball, and it wouldn't cost a lot of money. And I think it's a great idea. Um, I think it's – I think the Ben Simmons season, to me, LSU Ben Simmons, not my Ben Simmons, was when the wheels came off once and for all. when it was like the guys at LSU for six months, he mailed in the last month of the season because he didn't want to get hurt. Uh, he wasn't going to class anymore. The moment the season was over, he left, and um, the whole thing was a joke. It really was, and I, I think once that happened, um, it, it, uh, it, it it if you didn't learn anything from that, I don't know what to tell you. Sportsbook deep dive podcast coming possibly. We'll see. Oh, here's a good one. If you're coming up in NBA media right now, what would you do? All right. Listen to me on this one because this is important. Stay, stay the fuck off Twitter for if you're uh, a budding basketball writer. Don't be on Twitter all the time. In general, I, I know I'm doing this on Twitter, so it's a little awkward, but Twitter is terrible. I repeat, terrible for young writers. It's terrible. It's a terrible way. If you're, if you're honestly like, I want to be an awesome writer, I want to be, let's say, I want to be a basketball writer. I want to be the next Zach Lowe. Guess where Zach Lowe wasn't for his entire 20s, on Twitter, throwing out takes on the universe, caring what other people thought, um, going down stupid rabbit holes. He he was he was a court reporter. Like, go look at what Zach Lowe's background was. The reason Zach Lowe became what he became was because he had a real job and he approached things differently and he wasn't like online all the time and. You know, he tried to forge his own path and think about basketball his way. He didn't care about what the consensus of thought is. If you're on Twitter, especially if you're on the NBA side, odds are it's you're, you're following a bunch of people that agree with you on a bunch of stuff or people that you like. And you're all just kind of saying the same things to each other. I really, really, really wish younger writers wouldn't be on Twitter that much. And definitely I would not when you're thinking about like i'm gonna i'm watching this basketball game i'm just watching this twitter timeline and i'm trying to come in with my three good jokes that somebody's going to see for 10 seconds versus like just watching the game and thinking about what you're going to write how is that a good thing to do um i would be very careful with that stuff and i I think you look at somebody who's younger like kevin o'connor who we've talked about who's you know, obviously a special person to me. We've had him from the get go with the ringer and uh, I'm really proud of how he's grown. And he's probably on the internet a little too much, but that dude puts in the work. He watches the games. He's, he's, he really gives a shit and really, 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 really puts in the work and that's why he's successful. Um, could you talk a bit about finding talented people for your team? Yeah. Um, I, there's no right answer to it I, I think we always are looking for people that stand out to us in some way people that there's not six versions of them somebody where you just go um, hmm that person's that person's different that person has some sort of a tiny lane I think not to single people out because we have so many great people that uh, you know I don't is, i hate singling people out but i will say like roger sherman who writes for us he's just really unique like he he has these specific lanes he loves college football he loves the nfl he loves basketball and he loves reality tv and he's like i'm all in on those four th- on those four things i have a sense of humor i have perspective and and I'm just really good at this and he's done awesome for us. And I I think he's a good example of like, he's doubled down on every single thing he's good at and just tried to get better at all of it. So, um, so there you go. Uh, We, people are asking for a challenge podcast. Uh, We talked about that a lot. We've covered a little bit on Juliet's bachelor party podcast, but um, for the most part, uh, didn't think it could sustain its own feed. I think survivor and the challenge, things like that. Who knows what jobs do you see becoming available at the ring or Spotify for non-content people? So if you, let's say you're in the 19 to 23 age range, I think the best thing you can do if you're a behind the scenes person is learn how to do a bunch of different things. Um, learn how to produce podcasts, learn how to cut video, learn how to use pro tools. Uh, I wish, I wish uh, some of these journalism schools that had, that end up getting great people, but they're preparing people, for a media career that um, made more sense in 2005, like, I wish they were more targeted toward, um, toward what people need now. And like, we look, like some of the people we have behind that we have an awesome video team, we have an awesome audio team behind the scenes. There are people that, especially on the video side, they know how to do a bunch of stuff. They can potentially, um, you know, edit anything. They could potentially edit a podcast. They're versatile. And I think as God only knows what's going to happen in the media business the next 10 years. But I think versatility is important if you're behind the scenes. If you're not talent, the more things that you can be good at, the more things you learn how to do, um, the more valuable you're going to be. And that's just the way it is. Someone asked that, although newspapers are fading away, would you recommend a career in that industry? I'm more bullish on newspapers, I think, than I was five years ago. I, I think the bigger ones can make it um and the subscription model for new york times washington post i think la times a couple of these boston globe i think will ultimately prove to be something that's able to keep them afloat i'm really worried about those smaller newspapers and i I think the ability of somebody to kind of work their way up from the ground floor is being removed and you're seeing that with younger writers too like I, i look at where i was in the late 90s and uh I had this whole four-year run there where I'm on my own website making a million mistakes, but not you know, trial and error, learning what works and what doesn't work without where we are now in 2020 where you write one dumb column, one dumb angle, whatever, you get raked over the coals and then you're gun-shy after that. And I I think uh, it worries me a little that the traditional way of building up, um, you don't get to make mistakes really Um, that's one thing that sucks. The other thing that sucks is sometimes people get chances too soon and they're not ready for them. I've seen over and over again writers that I liked and I I thought had potential all of a sudden being given in a column uh, or being thrown on a radio show or something and they're too young they don't even know who they are yet. You know, I, I think when I look at me, I didn't really have any sense of what I wanted to do with my column until I was in my late twenties. I knew instinctively what it should be, but I didn't really know how to pull it off until I was like 28, 29. And then when I think about my writing in general, um, I think I was probably funnier in the nineties and the first part of the two thousands, but I really don't feel like I knew how to write uh, probably until the late two thousands. And I, I think the, the years I'm probably the most proud of are 2009 and then uh the first year and a half or so of Grantland where I was like I know what I'm doing I know how to do this I know what my perspective is I know exactly what my angle is and at that point I was over 40 so I always tell like I was tell, I always tell Brian Curtis this like he's in that sweet spot now in your late 30s that's when you really kind of know who you are as a writer and that's when you should do um your best stuff um i gotta wrap this up because i have to go back to real life stuff but this was fun thanks for listening to me and more, more importantly thanks to ernie johnson who's been an awesome guy over the years i hate doing this stuff that's why i never do them but he asked me to do it and i can't say no to him so uh check out all the uh all the stuff that um all the different interviews they did and maybe you'll learn some stuff and for the people out there trying to break into the business i know i know it's crazy times right now but um you know Try to figure out how you can stand out would be my best advice. And that's it. I'm going to end this chat. Goodbye, everybody. Thank you for tuning into this episode of EJ's Game Plan. For more information on today's guest and breaking into the sports media industry, go to our website, www.ejsgameplan.com. Tune in every week to hear from more guests on their experience in the media industry. EJ's Game Plan is brought to you by Ernie Johnson Jr., the University of Georgia's new media institute, and Grady Sports.